Again, praise God for our country. Our, our recent studies have been about how to combat sin and, and basically destroy it in our lives, to get rid of it. Um, our nation's been celebrating uh, uh, our country and the freedoms we enjoy, and we thought it would be appropriate today to just remember our freedom in Christ. Um, what I would like to do is consider different aspects of our freedom, but also be reminded that some of our freedoms come with some limitations. And so I want to acknowledge those as well. So as we just um, consider where we're at today and, uh, and, and what we're going to be looking at, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we're going to be um, uh, talking about our, our freedom in Christ and in your pew Bibles, you can see that it's page uh, 927. I'm going to start in verse 31 in this chapter. John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will, you will be made free? Now, I just have to give a quick editor's note here. Uh, Rome was ruling them at the time. And so they said, you know, no one's our boss. It's like, no, you're wrong. Okay, but anyway. But Jesus answered them, Obviously not like I did sarcastically. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen. As we consider that, positionally we know that we now have total freedom because of what Christ has done on our behalf if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. The only limit a person has is not having Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Either we live with the Master forever, or we don't. It's just that simple. So the first thing that we need to establish here and keep in mind is that we have freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is offered. It is freedom uh, that we're going to be exploring because we then ask the next question, okay, free from what? Right? We are free from things, and we are free to do things, right? In our country, we had a time when we had a very tyrannical government that was over us, that happened to be on the other side of the ocean, that was telling us all different things that we were to do. And, and our forefathers basically said, we can't fathom this anymore. We can't stomach this. We are not free people. We should be free. And so they declared such. We're free now, okay? That nation didn't like it, but we won, so sorry. But anyway, so that's what happened. But, but here's the thing. We have been freed from some things. As we think of our freedom in Christ, we have been freed from sin and death. Amen. We're going to read several parts of Paul's letter to the Romans. Today we're going to take a broader view of the theme that we're talking about as Paul develops this, rather than taking a deep dive into every subject. So we're taking this theme of freedom through several different passages. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. 
So you want to just kind of keep your finger here as we work through some passages. I'm going to read several of them to you and then kind of talk about them a little bit holistically, okay? Uh, and we have, we have a couple of different topics to work through. But in Romans chapter 5, let's begin in verse 15, and I'll read down through 19 for you. It says, For the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, and we're talking about Adam, right, the offense of Adam, many died, much more the grace of God, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. And by the way, that was complete and total condemnation for all of us, right? But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So we see this, this counter, right? Here's Adam. Here's what he did to us. Here's us represented in him. And then here's Jesus and what he has done. And it goes on. Therefore, as through one man's offense, in verse 18, came, came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Amen. This is a tremendous passage of Scripture that we really need to, to uh, gain hold of and understand that, that we have a lot in Christ, okay? He has provided a way for us. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, if you'll slide uh, uh, over just a little bit, maybe maybe down in your book, in, in, in your Bible, but go to Romans chapter 6 now. And we're going to start in verse 8. Romans 6, verse 8. So we have this contrast between what we had in Adam, which was condemnation, and what we have in Jesus, which is just justification, being made right in Christ. Now we look at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death which he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you may obey it and its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are under the, not under the law, but under grace. Again, just keep that in our minds for just a moment. And then let's slide over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see where the theme is going here, right? We talked about this condemnation to Adam. But through Christ, there is no condemnation. Amen. There is therefore no, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see that reinforced, right? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, to be sinfully minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Again, there's a lot there, folks, and we can unpack a whole bunch of these things for days, for, for weeks, all right? But what we're talking about right now is this freedom that we see and ultimately as we've been talking about, this freedom from sin and death. We find complete independence from the power of death through a complete dependence upon or faith in the work of Jesus Christ. But we also need to understand that sin no longer rules us now. If we're in Christ, we are not ruled by sin. We have the ability to not sin, to not offend God. Remember what the scriptures say. Someone who is not in Christ can't do anything good for Christ. Now, I want to be careful when I say this. It doesn't mean that people can't be moral, that they can't be kind, that they can't do nice things, that they can't be humanitarian or any number of things. But it doesn't merit anything before God. All right? That's the issue. What we're talking about is what Christ has done to allow us to have merit before God. Right? It's only what he has done for us. So we are alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can now live a life pleasing to God through the power or enabling of his Spirit. Amen. So what are we free from? We're free from sin, and we're free from the death penalty that came with that sin. Again, if we have placed our confidence in Christ. But there's a limit to that. The limit is, we saw this plainly through this passage, we no longer have the freedom to sin. I want to read another passage for you in Romans chapter 6. We didn't quite get down that far, but just verses 15 through 20, 23 and see what that says. Romans chapter 6, 15 through, through 23. So what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Right? We just read about this. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin or uh, to death or of obedience to righteousness? But God be thanked that through you, uh, sorry, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine with which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. 
Now, I speak in human terms because the weakness of your flesh. That's not me talking. That's Paul talking, right? For just as, because I'm, I'm there too. Just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. See, one leads to the other. Sin begets sin. Righteousness begets more righteousness, begets holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, right? We had no obligation whatsoever to live a righteous life. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And to the end, look at this, everlasting life. Everlasting life. Again, let's grasp this. Everlasting life by being a slave. By being a servant of Christ. Hmm. Paul says that before we were followers of Christ, we were slaves to sin, so we had no obligation to live righteously. We could live any way we please because we served sin. We were not obligated to God. But sin is slavery. So when we as followers of Christ sin, we are actually laying aside our freedoms in Christ and we serve the illegitimate master of sin. Have you, have you kind of wrapped your mind around that and look at it from that perspective? So for God to forbid us to sin doesn't actually limit our freedom. We live in freedom when we don't sin. Sinning as a believer is like a free American choosing to live under the dictatorship in North Korea. Choosing to live wrong limits our freedom to live right. You can't do both. You can't be free and shackle yourself into the slavery of sin. It can't happen. We can't go to North Korea and say, hey, this is all right. I, I want to live like this and submit ourselves to that dictator's authority and then say, but I'm a free American. You think that's going to fly over there? No, as a matter of fact, you might, <laughs> you might lose a lot more than your freedom. So here's the point. When we, and let's face it, at this point now it's voluntary. When we voluntarily say, I'm going to sin then what we say is, sin is now my authority. I'm signing on the bottom line what the results are going to be. And now we serve that. And we have taken the rightful authority of God who has justified, who has brought us into his family, who has sacrificed everything in Christ to give us life. And we're saying, eh, but I, I want to dabble in this death stuff. I, I want to dabble in those things that are harmful and those things that offend you and those things that take away your glory. And it's, just, it's just the reality of it. But again, let's, let's transition over and understand this. When we don't choose to do that, when we live in freedom, then one of the words you might have noticed there was peace. What are people looking for today? And folks, look, I, 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 I'm not saying this in any way, shape, or form to make light of it. But you, you have to admit, 
we, we are the most uh, prescribed country, right? The most prescribed people that we have ever been. There are so many people on drugs. Now there's drugs to help you with the drugs that you're taking so that you don't have the side effects so that you can be happy. Now, now folks, like I say, I'm not making light of people who are in difficult situations, but I'm saying, what's it about? Why? I really believe they don't have the peace of understanding that everything they're doing is forgiven and living in freedom, which means living in obedience, which actually means to place ourselves under the authority of God and Christ, to be his slave. We're not going to clean that language up. It's exactly what it means. So it just comes down to, who do we want our master to be? That's a good answer. (laughs) All right, let's move on. We also have freedom from the law. If you'll, again, we're we're really concentrated here. In Romans chapter 7, let me read for you verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now, again, what we're talking about is the Old Testament law here. Um, if you're not so familiar with that, that's fine, but we're, we're talking much more than just the, the, the Ten Commandments. And we're talking also a lot about the ceremonial law that, that they tried to fulfill, right, through the good things that they did, through sacrifices that they made. They, they, they tried to, to um, have a right relationship with God. But we know that that's always been a matter of faith. But here's, let me just start this again. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. All right? She's, she's no longer obligated to that marriage. The, the, the husband has, has died. So then, if while her husband lives... She marries another man. She'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, right, following that, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. But when we were in the flesh, the passions of the sins that were aroused by the law We're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should live in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, Romans 6, that we just read a couple minutes ago, is a parallel passage to what we have been studying from Colossians 2 about being spiritually baptized in Christ at his death. This was a spiritual identification with Jesus. So when he died and rose again, we died with him. You say, well, I'm living and breathing. No, again, it was a positional thing. We died with him. We rose again with him based upon the life that he's given to us. Now, chapter 7 is the follow-up passage that tells us that when our old man died with Christ, it freed us from the law. Paul uses the example of marriage, stating that a woman whose husband dies is free to marry again. She's free to marry another man without any moral or legal consequences because death severed the relationship. In the same way, we are dead to the law because we died in Christ and were raised to a new life. 
Jesus made it possible to be joined with him. He freed us when the old sinful self died with Christ. And we were given a new and eternal life so that we could be joined to Christ. That's an amazing thought. Freedom from the law. Now, again, there is a limit that we need to understand. We can't allow others to place an artificial standard on us. Let's combine what we have been learning from this passage about the law with our study of false teachers. We can apply this principle that we just saw here of freedom to all of those situations, whether it be the Old Testament law, where, where a lot of folks in, in, in the New Testament, uh, as, as God was establishing churches, there were those that were labeled Judaizers, they were called a lot of times. They were trying to say, well, you, you, had to, you had to do the law too. And yet, no, we don't have to do all of that because Christ fulfilled that, right? Well, then there were others through false teaching would come in and kind of mix a little bit of Christianity. They might have some facts about Jesus right, but intentionally they were saying, yeah, but you have to do this, this, and this. And if you don't measure up to these things, you know, you're, you're out. And it wasn't true. And, and it was guiding people in the wrong direction. All of these rules and regulations take uh, away our freedom in Christ by placing requirements on us that are not right. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law through his death, as I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, but God took these requirements and placed them on Christ. Those requirements didn't just go away. Jesus fulfilled them. Jesus' life was the sacrifice that paid a debt that we could never pay. So by grace, we have been born again to a new life. Therefore, we are dead to the requirements of fulfilling the law or any other standard of works to try to earn our way to heaven. When we attempt to please God apart from grace, we miss living in the freedom God intended. That doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities. It just means that, that it, it, we're not going to somehow manage our salvation apart from simply surrendering everything to what Christ has done for us. That's, that, it, it, it's a total, complete faith in what he did. We can't work our way there. It is impossible. <coughs> Let me move on to, and, and I apologize that there was a glitch in your notes that was my fault, but freedom in living out our faith. Freedom in living out our faith. So what do we mean by this? We're talking about the free practice of our faith as God leads. Okay? There's our positional um, uh, salvation in Christ, and then there is our living out that, that faith. Um, we've already read for you Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 12. Read that a little bit earlier in, in, the, um, in the service. But can we just pick up on um, Romans 14, where, where uh, it starts with 13. Romans 14, now beginning in 13. So there were some issues there as we read about being careful not to be offensive and, and different things like that. But 13 says this, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. 
Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit. For we who... For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which uh, one may edify one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is, ev but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. There's a couple different situations we're going to look at, but Paul is speaking through the book back and forth to both Jews and Gentiles. And so apparently in the church in Rome, there was a good mix of Jews and Gentile believers. Um, the situations named were differences between Gentiles and Jews. These were areas of freedom, but possible points of conflict. The first situation is that Jewish Christians felt obligated to observe Jewish festivals in order to honor God. Gentile Christians chose not to observe these feasts, and this too was an honor to God. Right? That's what it says. The second possible friction point were that some Jewish believers observed the Old Testament laws against eating certain foods like pork or specific kinds of seafood. There were dietary laws. The Gentile believers felt free to eat whatever they chose. And again, all of this is unto the Lord. So as Paul describes both Jews and Gentiles saying they're doing it unto the Lord, the question here isn't about maturity and it isn't about the essentials of faith or morality. Some commentators call these indifferent things. We would say that these things don't matter. We are free to participate or not as we believe God has led us. And Paul uh, said right there in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, I need to insert a parallel passage. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I'll be reading for you verses 1 through, 1 through 13. Now, I know that we're going through a lot of, of um, passages here. There's a lot of information I'm giving you, but I want to keep with this, this theme of of um, freedom and what we have been given in Christ. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 13. It says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Right? Knowledge makes you cocky. That's what it's saying. But love actually builds other people up. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is no other God but one. For even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or on the earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God, 
the Father, of whom are all things, and we, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat uh, are we uh, the better, or if we do not eat, are we the worse? But beware lest somehow this liberty, this freedom of yours, become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to the idols? And because of your knowledge uh, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died." So as we, as we consider this passage, and one, one more verse there, I guess I, I, missed, I missed a couple of those. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. So we've added another layer here about maturity, about the mature believer and the weak believer or less mature Christian and how they interact. The specific issue is purchasing and eating meat offered to idols, but the principle and application can take many forms. But as we think about that, I just want to put us in context here. We went from Jewish believers, right, who are followers of certain aspects of the law because they feel obligated to do that. And, and what does Paul say? You're free to do that. There were Gentile believers who said, I, I don't feel obligated to do that. I feel obligated to, to live a, a different way to show who I am in Jesus, right? Again, both unto the Lord. And Paul said, you're free to do that. Don't, don't judge one another. But now as we transition over to here, we have was probably all Gentiles. And there were some Gentile believers, non-Jews, who were who were more mature in the faith. Um, some people believe that the, the meat that was offered was kind of like bargain meat, you know. Uh, they, they sold it. They made sure they sold it because I guess maybe it profited the, 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 um, the temple or whatever it was. But Christians would buy this meat, the mature ones, because in their opinion, meat was meat was meat, right? But the, but the younger Christians would still associate it with the idol worship. And so the meat itself, there was some meaning behind it. And it was, it was still very fresh in their lifestyle because they were saved out of that. And it wasn't just a matter of, of um, the offering itself, right? There would have been a lifestyle that have, would have gone on with that, um, it would, be very, it would be very similar to someone telling us, um, your religion, right? And I'm just using, your religion is, is, is really just about, you know, the, the check that you write to the church. You'd be like, no, it's a lot more than that. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about here. These people, they're being offended because their religion is really just about someone offering a piece of meat, as, as, as an offering to an idol. No, there, there was all kinds of other things attached to that. And, and so it, it, it kind of, they, they were struggling with this, right? They struggled with those connections. 
These young Christians struggled with more mature Christians buying and eating the meat. Some may have judged those exercising their freedom, right? So the younger Christians are looking at them and saying, what's wrong with them? Look what they're doing. Some may have become confused or frustrated. And in the passage here we see, others may have eaten meat offered to idols like the more mature, but in eating it, they were offending their own consciences. They were going against what they really felt in their heart. And it was a problem. So this resulted in tension among believers over insignificant issues, things that have no real impact on our daily walk with the Lord. Right? We're talking about whether or not you eat a certain kind of meat. So that brings us to our limit. And there are actually two passages, as I mentioned, that we covered that we want to see these limitations. The first limitation is this. Believers have no right to judge one another for how they choose to live their lives in areas that are spiritually unimportant. We, we have a lot of freedom to do what we please with what God has given to us and other things. The second thing is we cannot allow our freedom to trip up young believers in their walk with Christ. This is not a spiritually neutral situation. We're going to offend somebody. We're going to hurt somebody. These are not commands to stop doing sinful acts. Did you notice that? Paul isn't saying, hey, you're being sinful by eating this meat or drinking this or whatever it might be by doing this activity or not doing this activity. These are instructions that frame our freedoms so that we don't try to push our standards on others. To be sensitive to newer Christians so that we do not hinder them spiritually. Now, I want to give a a brief word of clarification here. And folks, I, I really want to try to say this in love. Maybe that you have experienced this before. We have no spiritual obligation to change how we engage in the indifferent things of life simply because another mature believer disagrees with us. Did you understand that? Did you hear how I framed that? Just because another believer thinks that what we're doing is wrong does not mean that we have to stop doing it. Just as we are not to judge, we do not have to give, it, give in to other people judging us. Again, we're referring to those who should be mature and not a new Christian, those who should know better. All right. Now, even in saying that, I want you to understand, you can always give deference to love. You can always give deference to self-sacrifice. But I'm simply saying that we don't have to live according to someone else's standard. If they're an immature believer, we already covered that. All right. So let's move on. Let's make some application here. We also need to understand that the relationship between right beliefs, uh, the right relationship between, sorry, the relationship between right beliefs or doctrine and right living. Sorry about that tongue tied there. There's a relationship between those two things. There is an interdependence between what we believe and how we live, right? We believe a certain way and we live accordingly. We live the way we do because of what we believe. These two things will never contradict one another when they are correct. When our beliefs and our lifestyle are correct, 
You're not going to have one harm the other. Now you might ask, well, why are we talking about right doctrine all of a sudden and right living? I thought we were talking about freedom, freedom in Christ. You folks always ask us great questions. You really do. What we are to believe and how we are to live are defined by the scriptures. They provide a true, understandable, and objective standard for our beliefs and our lifestyle. I want to use a couple of examples of scripture. Not because I advocate this specific activity personally, but because it was mentioned in our text, and it's an easy example. Saying, what is it? I'm going to tell you. A person cannot make a valid argument from Scripture that it is sinful to consume alcohol. But a person cannot justify drinking to excess. That is something that we have clear delineation in Scripture. Nor can anyone justify carousing. That's the old word for what we would call partying, right, today. Partaking is a matter of liberty. If we are not free to get drunk or engage in, but we are not free to get drunk or engage in an environment that encourages sin. A person can also make the personal choice to abstain. Taken a step further, we will abstain if our drinking will cause a, a Christian new to the faith to stumble, right? Or maybe even someone who just has some issues with alcohol. See, that's where love steps in. So here's the point. And, and like, I, like I say, folks, I, 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 I don't drink. I don't really have any desire to. But if someone enjoys a glass of wine with a meal, I'm not going to cast judgment on them. But if someone kind of forces upon somebody else their rights and that person struggles with that issue, that's, that's terribly wrong. I mean, even our society today acknowledges that. All right? So keep that one in mind. Let's move on. And again, we're making some application here. Because this also includes how we apply the principle or spirit behind the truths of Scripture. Again, I'll use an easily understood Bible truth. The Eighth Commandment says, you shall not steal. Right? Pretty, pretty cut and dry. So let's look at scripture for a moment. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 20, 23. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, and dishonest scales are not good. Now, what are diverse weights? It means that if you were going to come to my uh, vegetable stand and I had a scale there, right, and you got, I don't know, whatever, tomatoes. I like tomatoes. So you put some tomatoes on one side of the scale, and I say, okay, I'm going to balance that off until I tell you how, much it, you know, how much it costs, right? Because I don't have a digital scale. So I take something out that makes the scale tip in such a way that I charge you more. That's the diverse, the many different weights that I can put on there, Okay so that the scale tips in my favor. The Proverbs tell us that we are to have accurate measures in business. Deli scales and gas pumps are inspected so that we aren't ripped off, right? They have stickers on them. If we sell a product, for example, on the internet that we intentionally don't describe accurately, then we're sinning. 
even though Bible authors had no concept of Amazon or eBay thousands of years ago. The point is that just because the Bible doesn't specifically talk about misrepresenting a product on the internet doesn't mean we have the freedom to do it. Let's put this another way. The Bible may be silent on a number of very specific situations, but probably has a solid principle we would need to apply to that situation. Okay? In other words, we don't have the freedom to skirt those things. Now let's look at an example on the opposite end of the spectrum. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the, for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And now at this point, I know a lot of people want to say amen because, of, yeah, get those rich people, right? Well, here's one very graphic truth we all need to understand. About 99% of the people in this country are rich compared to the rest of the world. Okay, that's not an exaggeration. Some of the poorest among us are rich compared to the rest of the world. Now, is that exactly what we're talking about here? No, but I'm just telling you, most of us could fall into this category. All right, so we just need to keep that in mind, get our minds around that. So what do we see here? A rich Christian is told to stay humble and not trust in their riches. They are further instructed to be generous so that they will store up treasure in heaven. But possessing a lot of money isn't condemned. Did you notice that? And each person is free to choose how to invest their earthly treasures into making eternal treasures. There's a lot of freedom there. So to summarize, Christian liberty is not a license to sin. And it doesn't give a person the right to interpret the Bible any way they please. It isn't even a free pass to do whatever we like in areas that are not necessarily sinful. But our freedom in Christ absolutely means that we are ultimately responsible for what we believe before God. Why? The reality is there are those who do not hold to sound doctrine and will try to influence us. We must seek to obey Christ first and not, not obey just any old standard that's out there that someone wants to push on us. And... Christian liberty absolutely means that we have the freedom to engage in whatever activities we please in private or in public. The limits to these freedoms are, are that we cannot sin and we should not offend a young Christian who may be struggling with their freedom. So here's my encouragement to you. Live out your freedom in Christ and avoid those things that can take away your freedom and limit the blessings that God intends for us. Folks, we have freedom in Christ first and foremost with the salvation that he's given to us. Secondly, we have freedom to live our lives in so many ways, but even the limits that God puts upon those are to keep us free. We look at those and say, oh, I want to do that. I need to do that. I want that. I need that, right? And, and there's that urge. But what we're saying is, I want to leave freedom. and I actually want to engage in things that are going to shackle me. We, we don't want to do that. We want to live in the freedom that God gave to us. 
Um, we've mentioned this before. I don't mean this to be a trite saying. I really mean it to be, God is a lot smarter than we are. <laughs> he knows. He knows us. He knows life. He created each and every one of us. He gave us his word. He gave us his son. He gave us the spirit. And everything is designed for us to bring glory to him. Everything is for us to place ourselves voluntarily under his authority because the scriptures tell us, Jesus told us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is an unloving thing to sin. It's also a self-destructive thing. God knows best. He loves us. He saved us from all of that. And when we give deference to fellow believers, whatever the situation might be, we are demonstrating that same self-sacrificing love that God called us into his family with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you truly do love us. And, and really, we see that demonstrated every day. We wake up. We take our breaths. We are given opportunities to serve you. Lord, in all of our freedoms, I pray that we don't use our freedoms to live in some type of excess, to, to uh, just do the things that, that we want to do for selfish purposes. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy life. But Lord, I pray that we don't get caught so much up in the enjoyment that we miss that there is great joy in serving you. That there is a very particular satisfaction and peace in pleasing you. Just for the sheer fact of obeying our God, but on top of that, by being free to not pay the cost that's that, that, that comes with sin. So, Lord, we pray for your protection. We pray for your patience. We pray for your guidance. But we also want to praise you that in all those different things, you do provide it for us. Father, if there's someone here, most of this message might not even matter to them at this point because they're not your child. I pray, Father, that you would work in their lives even today, that you would call them into your family, that they would see that they need to be rescued from their sin first and foremost. That they need to understand that Christ died and rose again. That he gave us life because of the life that he laid down for us. The God of this universe come down somehow, some way, was born and became the God-man. A unique person in all of eternity. Truly, physically, bodily died for us so that we don't have to. So that spiritually, placing our faith in what he did by taking away our sins, we can live forever. We can be freed from sin. We can be freed from death. We can have the peace that we so hunger and thirst for. That satisfaction's in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that someone today is hungering and thirsting, that they would find their satisfaction in Jesus. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.